Howdy folks, welcome back to Welly Sportsman Show. Today we are you know back at you guys with a regular episode, so no turkey calling episode. I know I said we'd begin a turkey calling episode, but the mic I have on the way has not come yet. And I I don't want to do that that episode until I can get that mic and get some high quality audio out for you guys. Um, so you guys can hear it as you know best as you can. So today we got a normal podcast coming out, but first let's jump into my week in review. So my week in review, uh, wrestling season ended for me, so that's kind of nice. I'll have more time now, be able to put more content out. But yeah, we kind of hung up the the whole ice fishing thing Saturday. We were able to get out, but there was really no good fishing to get out to like. I don't know, they definitely did not follow their late ice patterns this year, so I, I am kind of lost for words on the way they kind of stumped us this whole late ice period. I mean, I guess we had one day where we went on and got our limits, but yeah, that was just about it. I I was really hoping, like, you know, you, you get out there, you risk you risk it all, you, you know, you plank out, you have some really good fishing, but you know, hopefully on those last couple of days ice, but we never really got that this year. So we are officially hanging everything up. I'm sure you could go way up north to get on ice. Uh, for us, it's not, it's not really worth it. So I'll be gearing towards turkey hunting as we keep it getting closer. And even bass fishing, because I know, you know, bass fishing, open or walleye. Um, I'm, I know I have like two months to wait, but <laughs> I don't really do anything else at this time. So going to try to, you know, spend as much time as I can tur- on turkey hunting and then fishing as well. But yeah, and then Sunday I didn't really do anything. Um, kind of just enjoy the day I had to work. Hung out with family kind of thing. It's completely different than going, you know, going fishing twice a week. You know, days of the day would kind of, buy, you know, it went, <laughs> went by kind of long. But uh, today we have Freddie King on. Um, he is from Arkansas. He is a big time uh, trainer, or dog trainer, I should say, uh, more specifically hunting dog trainer. And he's pretty, you know, across the nation, he's pretty widely known. He's a pretty awesome dude. He has a great training program. And I am actually beyond honored uh, to have the opportunity to even, you know, speak with him let alone have him on my podcast. This is a pretty big deal for me. I'm, I'm really glad to have him on. Um, he teaches, you know, he speaks a lot of truth. He, he teaches, uh, you know, phase by phase in his training program. So he, we talk a little bit more about that. But it, it's a huge honor to be able to talk to him and, you know, kind of pick his brain here for about an hour. It was, it was uh, I think, one of, my, one of my best and most favorite podcasts to date. You know, having a, a guest like that on it really made things interesting, and I, I I thought it was a great interview. Um, I hope you guys really enjoy it too. There's a lot of really good information, so if you can't make it for the whole thing, I understand. But trust me, the whole th- you're gonna want to listen to the whole thing. So uh, you know, kind of stick it out. It's a lot of a lot of talking, a lot of information, and just a lot of of knowledge coming from one dude. You know on subjects like he's done a lot with what he is doing right now you guys will hear all about that so without further ado here we go with freddie king howdy folks welcome back to welly sportsman show today we got freddie king with us hey guys sure glad to be here talk about ducks dogs and whatever else we can get into (laughs) we're gonna get into it uh freddie uh you want to explain to the listeners kind of what you do well, I mean, I'm a kind of a jack of all trades. I'm editor, producer. I've produced several different television shows. I've shot for a lot of other television shows as far as running camera. Um, I've done that uh, basically since the early 90s, kind of grandfathered into the whole thing. And that's kind of what got me a little bit more instituted in the outdoors, along with the love for retrievers and retriever training. So. Uh, most of the shows that I did work for were outdoor, uh, were waterfowling shows, Final Approach TV, Waterdog TV, uh, uh, 
well, I think I said waterfowler, and then I think it switched to final approach, but several different uh, genres like that. Uh, Blood Brothers TV, we did a lot of waterfowler episodes on it. So that's kind of how I kind of got into the outdoor industry, I guess, so to speak. Sounds like you've had a, kind of been all over the place, but I bet you that's been one one hell of a journey. The opportunity to get out, and uh, I've got a passport that's been stamped literally completely out. Then you have to renew. Uh, well, they added pages to my first one, and and just about to start adding pages to my second one. I've been, you name it, New Zealand, Uruguay, Paraguay, Uruguay, however you want to say it, Argentina, uh, Mexico, Africa, Canada several times, New Me- uh, Mexico several times. And just, you know, different places like that. I've met folks literally in at least 45 of the continental United States, you know, here in the States. I've filmed, I've pushed record on a camera, edited or field produced or something to uh, pretty much every state. So there's there's folks that I've done stuff with literally all over this daggum round planet of ours. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I never realized you uh, you went, you know, and traveled so much. That's awesome. Oh yeah, I mean, some of the greatest folks that I've met, have, and and you know, it's just the love for outdoors. That's kind of a labor of love because let me tell you, you know, as far as making money at it, you're not really going to do that. I was lucky enough to own a construction company that afforded me the ability to kind of get out and do a lot of things. So uh, that kind of turned me loose uh, to get out and just kind of travel and, and I guess follow my passion, you know, which was at that time really, you know, filming and f- photography work and, and editing. I love to edit. I love to produce shows. I love to, uh, uh, go out and shoot something, see it come together and, you know, bring it for, fo- bring it to folks to see. So, yeah, I mean, that's just a pretty doggone thing. Good. I've been blessed. That's all I can say. You know, I've just been blessed with the, the life that I've been able to have. Yeah, that's uh, that's almost my dream, kind of there. I gotta, I gotta start taking notes here. <laughs> so, what are you doing now for a living? Well, I mean, I I, I, I train several retrievers. Uh, I take dogs in the first of March, and then I send most everybody home around first eh, of November. We're starting to get serious about duck hunting. And, you know, during winter months, I try not to keep dogs. So I'm training dogs, and plus I own the Retriever Trainer, and uh, uh, which is an online website for, you know, training your retriever. There's over a 1,000 videos on this website, and I literally help every single member that needs help from day one all the way through the training process, whether wanting a meat dog, whether wanting to run hunt tests or whether wanting field trial or what have you, I'm there to help them 100%. It's kind of a no brainer for 60 bucks a year. You get access to over a thousand videos and help all the way through the training process. Yeah. That's one of the things that caught my, you know, caught me by surprise with your program compared to any of the others is you are literally there. I, you know, PM you on Facebook and you're back within a day with a direct answer. You know, I can actually talk to somebody who's an expert in that field. And I think that's something that really sets your program, you know, apart from the rest. So I'm, I absolutely love your program. I use it and I wish I would have got it sooner for my dog because I honestly made, you know, quite a few mistakes in the early years training her that I wouldn't have made if I would have got your program, you know, right away when she was a pup. Well, I mean, uh, going back to that editing producing, I mean, I've, I've shot, I'm not going to name no names or anything, but I've shot several, shot and edited several other pros DVDs and, you know, and other genres of media, training programs, platforms, whatever you want to call them. And I always saw where they were lacking. And, and I'd say, hey, you ought to do this and that and that and this and that. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Whatever. Okay. Well, uh, You know, I'm going to build my own thing, build it exactly where it shows all the good, all the bad, and most certainly all the ugly. You know, we never learn a thing from watching finished level dogs doing remedial. 
we've got to see a dog first time doing a certain aspect because first of all, you know, it, if people go and they watch this dog do something perfect on a DVD or a set or whatever you have, and they, they, I would, I'd feel like my dog was ignorant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I said, I got the stupidest dog around. I can't, th-, you know, and because there's this dog doing all this stuff perfect and you're not seeing what to do if this happens or if this happens or if this happens. And with uh, TRT, the retreat, I show you, I show you a dog doing the work for the first time. I don't show you one dog. I show you two, three, four, 12 different dogs going through force fetch. There's six or seven dogs that's going through uh, lining drills. So you get to see the whole genre of things that can go wrong and you see how to fix them. And you, and you see the daily progression of a, of a pup going through training so, you know, you don't feel so bad about your dog. You understand what's going on. My dog's supposed to do this. That Well, that, that's what that dog did. So my dog's fine. All I got to do is do, you know, so it, it simplifies things and, and, and it, it keeps expectations within reality. And I mean, and that's, that's, that's the main thing. I wanted somebody to see all the stuff that can go wrong. Yes. You kind of want to shine that light on something nobody had previously shined a light on, right? Well, that, and plus I wanted to bring a program out there that actually gave back to all its members. I mean, uh, even though uh, kind of jumping the gun more than, more than likely, but I didn't learn all this stuff by myself. I mean, I've been to seminars. I've been to uh, – had several different tutors that were great trainers. Uh, Harvey Shue, one of the greatest guys – and uh, in in a lot of group training, and I'd learn tricks, and I'd learn this. But most of the stuff I learned by going to seminars, and and I've always been in retrievers. And of course, you know, we I can remember having owning dogs, dad, back when I was seven or eight years old. But the dogs we have now versus back then are a whole lot different. That I will guarantee you. You know, back then, dog run out there, most of them broke. They'd pick it up, bring it three-quarters way back. You had a good dog, you know. And But now the, the, the level we train these dogs to is just almost asinine in my in my book. Just for, they, they can accomplish some really, truly, truly, truly unfathomable things. I mean, they, they can be trained to levels now that, you know, 10 years ago were, were pretty much unheard of. So, uh, but I've always been in retrievers, my background and nothing that I've brought to the platform is anything new other than I may have tweaked some different types of drills. I like doing different. Well, I say that there's three or four or five different drills that are TRT exclusive. There's several marking concepts that are, uh, TRT exclusive, but like I said, there's a thousand videos on this thing, and it, everything's passed down from somebody and a group of people or this trainer, and then tweaking this and then tweaking that, and it's it's all out there, but it's all in one program under the Retriever Trainer. Am I making sense? Oh yeah, for sure. I uh, yeah, I I understand that pretty pretty good. I I do you think that. Like the you know the development of the dogs, do you think that's due to like technology, like the higher end e collars now, or do you think that's just due to like humans' higher expectations and we have better tools to uh, get our dogs like that? Well, it's everything. I mean, it's you go back, like I said, uh, you know, when I was seven, eight years old, and can remember our first labs all the way up through, you know, I've waterfowl hunted all my life. Uh, uh, I can remember killing my first duck when I was literally seven years old, hunting on a Chapalaya Basin with my Papa Dushaw and that sort of thing. But, you know, when we had a dog in the boat then. And, uh, but dogs in hunting, had, hunting all the way, everything has, has, has evolved. But now, the last 20 years, we have bred a much better dog. And I mean, we, we're a, a dog that is smarter, a dog that's got better retrieving desire, a, a dog that has 
every aspect that we want as an athlete has been fine-tuned you know so i mean our dogs that we're working with are 30 50 percent better than what they were then and not only that but the tools that we have you know like trt and so many dvds just 25 years ago were non-existent you know and uh if i would have had something like those things back then of course we'd be at an even higher a progressed stage right now with our dogs but the tools are better the the e-collars are more efficient we've we've streamlined our tactics we're not nearly as heavy and hard-handed as what we used to be years ago i mean and and anybody that says that, that that's not true is that as far as back in the day let's say we were trying to dt the dog we trained amish way and we literally had an e-collar that would weld i mean that son of a gun had i mean it, it was so hot it was unbelievable those first e-collars and and how we didn't ruin more dogs than what we did i have no idea but today's e-collars are so much better you can feather them to the lightest settings and just you know and just give them that little tickle or that beep or that vibrate to uh to get the job done and our tools are better, our understanding of using those tools, and just the the overall whole training aspect of retrievers is better. We've, we've streamlined and we've used so many different methods and, and so much more info is out there available to everybody that literally now just about everybody's training a better dog than what you saw 90% of the dogs were in the woods, you know, or in the field 20 years ago. Yeah, so, like, when when do you think you kind of made that transition from, you know, being a, an average guy to being this trainer that was, you know, bringing this resource to the people? Like, when, when did that transition come? Like, how many years ago, you think? Well, I mean, the TRT, I didn't start till four years. People's DVDs or at least filming. And the – but – I've been a pro trainer, I guess, probably for solid 15 years, been in retrievers for the last 30 years as far as training and running hunt tests and, and actually trying to better myself as a retriever trainer. Uh, so I guess to answer your question, you know, where where I kind of flipped the script on myself was uh, getting with uh, Harvey Shoe and and – going to a Dobbs seminar that was probably well it's probably a little bit after that but harvey shoes seeing some of his dogs that he had started and was starting they would go off to other pros and run field trail uh, trials and i kind of saw what i needed to do and how i needed to start educating myself and streamline my training if i wanted a better dog and and just seeing what those dogs were capable of you know 30 years ago i was like holy smokes i mean one of my best friends uh chris aiken who owns web footed kennels is number two man in the united states for grand hunting retriever champion past dogs and uh has a ton of master nationals and stuff he and i you know 30 years ago uh the dogs we would run compared to now are just just completely different but he and I have often had this discussion to where how just one day seeing, you know, a, a field trial dog or what have you, seeing that dog be able to hand, sit on a whistle and that sort of thing, and just like, I got to train my dog to do that, you know, because it was the coolest thing. And that's kind of what kind of what started me to say, all right, I need to back up, re-gear, educate myself, and work toward a goal with these dogs. And it's all education and, and getting out there, going to seminars and listening and talking and being around as many professionals and other people that knew a heck of a lot more than I did at the time. That's for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the journey. That's uh, kind of crazy how I'm sure the resources back then, what you were learning was completely different from what you kind of understand as standard practice now as far as dog training and you know like like you said that's 
that's the development of the dogs coming along, development of our knowledge, and yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So uh, this leads me to my next question: Where are you from? Well, I'm. I live in Searcy, Arkansas. I, I was. I've lived here since I was 13 years old. So literally 40 years I've lived in uh, Central Arkansas, and uh, but you know I was born in my earlier years in uh, Southern Louisiana. So, uh, my dad, he's from Arkansas, mom, uh, she's from, uh, uh, Louisiana and they met in college, kind of that sort of thing. So, uh, I guess you could always say that I'm, uh, uh, kind of a voodoo chicken farmer, <laughs> so, you know, dad comes from chicken farmer stock and mama comes from the bowels of Louisiana. So, and, uh, Love both of my backgrounds and and got kinfolk literally spread from North Arkansas to Southern Louisiana, so it's a it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's uh that's some deep south you got there. <laughs> well, it's uh, everything's regional, you know. I mean, there's uh, Minnesota is, you know, got its own genre of people uh, that you know love their background and stuff just as much as I do mine. You know, whether you're from the north or south, but uh, I, I will say this: There's nothing like Southern Louisiana folk. I will guarantee you that. I've traveled everywhere. It's a different, different mentality once you get down there. You ever seen the uh, show of Swamp People? Oh yeah, yeah, several times. Is that like an accurate like representation of what's happening down in Louisiana? Uh, oh, uh, accurate, and then some. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, uh, th- that's the way folks live down there. Uh, there's a lot of folks that have houseboats and they, they live, you know, on the water 24 seven, you know, 365. And, uh, there's folks that, uh, have houseboats, uh, out on the, uh, basin. And there's folks that, you know, I mean, literally they just want to be left alone and live out in what, you know, what we call the sticks up here, but is the swamp down there. <laughs> yeah I, that's uh i always grew up watching that show and i always like you know is this really a real place and you know as i've gotten older i'm like well yeah they actually do that down there but that's that's pretty crazy that it's an accurate representation of how they live down there so i guess i learned something every day oh i guarantee you and it, and it's a, a great class of people too i will promise you that that's uh that's something else that's great so uh how many dogs like when you're when you you said you start training them in the spring and you don't finish them until like the fall how many dogs do you usually take on at a time well i don't you know i i don't like to have too many dogs most of the time i've got i've got a 15 run kennel that's behind the house here and i like to keep one bay open so i'm jumping between 13 and 15 dogs so on average i have 14 dogs uh that come in for training throughout the the spring, summer, and fall months. And then, uh, and I'll rotate dogs in and out, just depending on where they're at. Some dogs are coming from, coming back from the year before we're progressing in training, finishing up titles. And then, you know, later in midsummer or something, I'll, I'll get four or five more dogs to replace those. And usually, like I said, by, Oh, probably about, july summer last half of august, or mid-august somewhere up in there i'm usually getting my tune-up dogs in for the next the uh duck season coming in and usually sending season level dogs home and get letting owners get used to those dogs and those dogs getting used to them and you know give them a little bit of time before duck season starts to kind of get acclimated to each other so you know and, and i'll roughly have probably about 20 maybe 23, 24 dogs come through my kennel in a year. How many of those dogs are your own, or do you have, do you have any personal dogs? Oh, yeah. I've got three right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, i got three right now. Matter of fact, I just uh, – Chris Aiken, he called me. I'm not running anything right now because all my dogs are uh, right at season level, not ready, quite ready to run a hunt test, but will be by the fall. So I'm, I'm not <sighs> – I'm not running anything, 
So I put my dogs on Chris Aiken's truck, and he's taking them to hunt test. They just, all three of them just passed their masters, and he'll get back, and I'll get them picked up, and I'll train with them. And then when they get ready to run again, I'll run them up there, and he'll he'll take off with them again. Oh, yeah. And then, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And then, you know, of course, when, when I start moving these dogs, then I'll start entering them in the, the finishing masters that I'm running. My could you explain? Dogs. Yeah, could you explain to the listeners what uh, what it means to be like a master? Like you know the masters. Like I know you're talking about competition dogs, but can you like, break that down for the listeners who don't know much about that? Well, you know, not to get too too in depth and try to generalize things. You you basically have what you call hunt tests and field trials. All right, so let's call, cover the hunt tests first, and that's that's what I run. I mainly run. HRC UKC style hunt test. That's a uh, hunt retriever club, United Kennel Club. And you have three classes started, season, and finish. Uh, started dogs are dogs that are normally uh, force fetched. They've been e collar conditioned, they're force fetched. They've got pretty much their obedience, and they will uh, at a, a started level test that they, they mark one bird. And they basically retrieve within, bring the bird back to within a step of the handler. All right. So the, and that's, that's just kind of your, kind of your introductory level to make sure that the dog, the judges are looking for desire, marking ability, and pretty much that, you know, the dog has a basic understanding of, of the task in hand. Then you have season level, which the dog is now, you know, the dog has to deliver to hand. It can't drop the bird or anything like that. You'll have uh, two hunt tests or two tests to get a season pass. And your know, dog will have to mark two birds on water, then on land or vice versa. You'll have a walk up and your dog's got to be steady. Your dog's got to uh, be able to handle the blind out to 60, well, 40 yards, that sort of thing. So it's pretty much just the basic understanding of an actual hunt. A season-level dog is a dog that probably about 90% of folks hunt with. And then you have a finished dog, which is a dog that can mark uh, a triple, will go directly to the area of the fall, find the bird, come directly back, cast toward the second bird and the third bird and then uh runs a blind and you'll usually have a well you will have a diversion at some point and an honor uh, either on land or water so you know you're just kind of stepping up in stage from singles to doubles to triples as you graduate you and hrc ukc you will have to work a shotgun you will have to keep that shotgun at uh safe at all times you will actually shoot at the top of the arc as each bird is thrown and if you don't shoulder your weapon if you don't track and aim you will get a warning if you're if your gun is let's say on fire and the the action is closed you'll get a warning if your gun is on fire if you set it down and it's on fire and your action is uh is closed you're going to uh they're gonna send you home. <laughs> so that sort of thing. Yeah, there's and, and, there's not much room for messing around with. Well, no, it's the like only that, you, know? you know it's the only club that actually you know uh, fires a uh, a uh, popper at those birds, and uh, so and the use of the gun is one hundred percent. So it's one, and the reason I like it is because it is so much more like hunting. It's the most realistic. You're gonna blow a duck call. Yeah, the hunting situation, the the setups are generally very hunting oriented that sort of thing yet they they do test the dog at the given level that you're running at now akc you have uh junior uh, senior and master level and they're basically the same except for you're not going to some some hunt tests you will blow a duck call to start the test a lot of them you'll do a walk up and They'll start to test when you get to a certain spot. Your dog, uh, and one of the major differences between AKC and UKC is AKC, you can't talk to your dog once the test starts. UKC, 
you can you can talk to your dog and i absolutely love that because when i'm hunting i'm always talking i'm always talking when birds walk working i'm talking to my dog i'm talking to everybody and you know and i'm just and so it's it's more realistic to me but in akc you can't talk to your dog and it's basically everything's the same except for in uh senior you're going to honor uh senior a lot of times you'll run a couple of blinds uh you could have multiple blinds and run up to 100 yard blinds uh masters you're going to shoot a live flyer in your triple and you're going to have three series to pass to get a uh, three series to pass to get an actual pass and where ukc you'll have only two series to pass to get a pass and that's, that uh, that that's helps general. a lot for yeah that that helps a lot uh could you explain to listeners what it means to mark i know you use that term and for uh i'm sure there's listeners who aren't familiar with marking could you uh explain that a little bit well marking is the the act of the dog being able to watch the bird and see the exact spot and go directly to that spot that's that's a dog that has marking ability he's he's not breaking down short he's not driving over the bird he's not going left or right he's he's looking at that spot and running right to it. that's a well that's a strong marking dog and there's all different levels and there's all and you teach marking. Uh, some dogs are natural markers, some are not. Uh, but, you know, you can always, always uh, work with your pup and, and get them better at marking. But a mark is a bird that our dog sees fall. Okay. That, thanks for clearing that up for some listeners who wouldn't really get that. And the blind, of course, is uh, a bird's been placed out there. The dog has no idea, and you line them up, and you run them uh, to that by using whistles, whistle sets, and casting with your arms the direction you want the dog to go, and that's that's called a blind. I've seen some people do that, and I think that's absolutely crazy. I'm nowhere near that with my dog, but I've I've always thought, you know, getting them to blow the whistle and getting them to stop and sit. And using your hand to, you know, point towards the bird, I think, I think that's just crazy. Uh, and, and like I said, 30 years ago when I saw my first couple of dogs really doing that and doing it well, I thought, man, wow, you know. And that, the, and the handling back then was was just barely probably season level. And now the blinds that we run with some of our dogs, I, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's almost asinine. I mean, I, my advanced dogs – commonly run 400 yard blinds wow that's crazy so what is your like when you're picking out a lab to like to train or have your own which which color is your favorite and do you have a favorite gender so like is there a a color and gender combo that's like your favorite and you think like they're the best well i mean i'm gonna probably get poked on this but i'm a black dog guy i've had more one more female than i have uh male dogs and right now i've got two females and one male dog but you know i'm i'm probably a little bit more of a male dog guy just for the pure fact that you know they're most time they're a little bit harder driven they're a little bit more I don't know. It just seems like all the male dogs that I have had have really gotten attached to me. Oh, more so than the female dogs. I don't know why, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had some awesome, awesome female dogs, but most of my dog, all my dogs have been black. So I guess uh, based on that, you know, they've been all, I like the black American bred labs. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what we got going over, over here in Minnesota too. The, the black lab I grew up with, she was an absolute, you know, great dog, uh, pretty natural talent with that one. And then now we got, uh, Lacey, she's a little, she's a little more stubborn, but she's a black lab as well. And I, we, we've got good luck with black lab females. So I just have to say that's our, our favorite go-to color and, and, uh, gender, but, uh, you notice the difference between like the colors and like the natural like attitudes and personalities. Is there any sort of that? Well, no, I mean, now 20 years ago, you know, there 20 years ago, 
Chocolate Labs had a little bit of this and that, in my opinion. But today's labs, the black, the yellow, the chocolates, they're all pretty much pretty much the same. Uh, they, I mean, like I said, our breedings have gotten so good that I mean, I have I've got a chocolate lab out there right now that I'd personally own. I mean, he's a bad son of a gun. And then I've got a yellow dog that's fixing to be delivered. Uh, uh, I think Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday or so in a couple of days. But anyway, uh, and she's a, a mean little gal. You know what I mean? So, I mean, she's a, and both those dogs are top of the line and I don't both of them, but you know, years ago there might've been some differences, but nowadays, like I said, with the way we've, we've, we've streamlined our breedings and bred top notch dogs to top notch dogs and, and, and trying to keep them as healthy or certified and everything that we've done the last, we've just bred, uh, a strong class of dogs, no matter their color. So, uh, with that being said, how do you feel about Silver Lab? Well, I, I honestly don't think that Silver Lab is a lab. I mean, it's uh, there's definitely a genetic disorder, and I've I've seen enough of them to know that they have uh, some some health issues, some. Oh, some issues, let's say their wiring just ain't right. That's about the only best way to put it. You know, their wiring just isn't quite right. But the health issues uh, has has been the main thing. And, you know, to get that color, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it that uh, somewhere down the line, you know, another breed was introduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you feel like it's ethically wrong to breed for Silver Labs, even though they're highly sought after, but only for, like, the health purposes? Do you believe it's, like, wrong to be breeding for Silver Labs? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. Here's Yeah, it's definitely a sticky, well, here, sticky here's, question. Here's, I believe that any dog, you know, any dog can be bred. I don't care, you know. If Joe, Jim, John, and whatever down the road, whatever they they got dogs and they're breeding, I I don't give a crap about none of that. But a dog that's going to be registered in AKC must be a purebred dog, and and I don't believe those dogs should be AKC registered. You know, I mean that's just all there is to it. Uh, there's a ton of backyard bred dogs going on nowadays that 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 come from lines that you know they shouldn't breed those sorts of things and nobody ever says anything about those but they're akc labs and in my opinion that's still wrong but not nearly as wrong as what what folks are doing with uh those silver labs i mean they they should not be registered Gotcha. So that's kind of where you have your your beef with. Well, them. right, because I mean, it's, it's if you register an AKC, that dog's supposed to be pure. Pure. Mm-hmm. There's no way that silvers are pure, and I'll argue it. I mean, I've I've seen the data and everything else, and there's they they just aren't. And UKC has finally re- recognized that, and you can no longer register a silver in UKC and hopefully AKC will follow suit. That's, uh, that's some, you know, pretty good information you got on them. Uh, thank you for that. And I got uh, a couple questions from my brother actually. So he has a, uh, uh, he's getting a puppy actually next week. And he has a couple questions about starting that puppy out. So I guess the first question would be about the puppy selecting process. I know you have a video on it, but could you go over a brief summary of your puppy selection process and what you kind of look for when you're selecting puppies? All right. Well, I'm on. I'm. I'm on. First, tell you the truth, and then I'm on tell you what everybody says. All right. All right. Okay. The truth is that the best thing you can do is get a pup from proven lines, hunt test proven. If you're going to hunt, you want hunt test proven lines. You're you want a dog that's got master HRCH 
or a Grand Hunt Retriever Champion titles. But personally, I'm looking for a GRHRCHMHs by their names. And those are Grand Hunt Retriever Champion Master Hunters. I want both the parents and the lineage of grandparents. I want them, that pup, to have that in its line. I will, and in all honesty, my last three dogs, Teak, well, let's go back even further than that. Uh, Buck, Teal, Teat, Thief, Asia. Five dogs were the last pick of the litter, were the runts of the litter, and I just brought them home. Every one of those dogs are going to be are, are Grand Hunt Retriever Champions Master Hunters. All right? So it's, I chose a bloodline that I wanted. I raised that dog correctly from scratch and I built the dog that I wanted. Now, to happen five times in a row and, and dogs achieve that is kind of remarkable. Yet, the odds are stacked in my favor because of the, the parent, parental lineage that I cho- chose from. And the, how I raised those pups. So 90% of what that dog is going to be is up to the owner, not the dog. Of course, you've got to have, you know, the genetics, uh, a built-in retrieving desire. You've got, you know, to, to have that instilled in the pup. But by choosing the correct lineages, you, you're, you're – the all that's already done. The rest of it is on you as owner to mold that pup into the dog correctly, the, the dog that you want. It's all up. It's all on you. Now, a lot of people don't like hearing that. They say, oh, no, you go and you choose your dog. Well, I just told you that the last five that I have were runts of the litters. Uh, thief for darn sure was way small teeth weighs 39 pounds and just passed her first grand and that's a dog that you teat is a dog that you can see from in the retriever trainer from time she was seven weeks of age all the way through finish master derby qualify open training and you can you follow her life that session by session all the way through and she just passed her last her her, her first grand in the fall as a three-year-old pup and that's pretty strong and she's going to run in the spring hopefully she gets another pass and she'll have her grand title she's she's 39 pounds literally just a itty bitty thing asia is the same way i bought four pups out of the same litter four females and i let all the owners pick whichever dog they want and they left me and which peanut had already my wife had already said, I'd like to keep that dog right there, which was Asia. But we let the other folks pick which one they wanted, and they left us with Asia, which was actually the runt at that time of the of that litter. She's a little bit bigger now than Black Adam. But, uh, so I'm telling you something different than what most people are going to say. Now, if you're going to look at a litter and you want to know what to do, those sorts of things, first thing I would do is say, okay, what color do I want? All right. There's, I want a yellow. All right. Well, this litter right here has got four blacks, three yellows. Get, put all the blacks up. All right. I want a male. Well, there's two females, one male. All right. There's my dog. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, let's say it's a black, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and that's, 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 there you go. That's it. Well, all black litter, you want a black female. So you put all the black males up. You got four four females to choose from. If most people are going to want one that is a little spunkier than most of the others, but not overly aggressive toward the others, and one that will kind of get out of way from, you know, kind of meander, kind of get out away from its own. Now, if you... If you see that this dog right here seems to have a lot of self-confidence uh, in it as a little pup, 
you know, and, and those are the things that you can tell. The pup uh, that's got early self-confidence is one that's, you know, rough houses with the other ones a little bit more than, you know, the other ones do with each other and kind of gets away from the pack and does a little more exploring. So you get that pup off the side and you just kind of tease them around with, a, you know, a, a, a soft cloth puppy bumper. One, it's about four inches long and about two inches round and or inch and a half round a little bitty thing tease it around a little bit that sort of thing and make one or two tosses if the pup goes goes and gets it great if not you know then you might do that with another pup and see what happens but nine times out of ten that pup as long as you don't throw it too fast and it's white and it's easily seen nine times out of ten that pup will run over there and grab it now whether it comes back to you or not is you know up to the pup but that's that's generally the best that's how most people are going to say you know a lot of people say well turn that dog upside down if it lays there you know unless you hold it then that dog's going to be submissive and stuff and if you you know you set it down it runs around everything's good that's a good pup versus one that fights you the whole time uh i i'm not into all that I, I I think it's up to us as to do right by the pup that we we choose or that we're given or what. It's all up to us to make that pup the best that it can be. I think it's one hundred percent on us. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, when you when you first get your dog, are you started training like? You know, like, let's say that first week, are you waiting a little bit to start, you know, your training? I know you kind of ease into what you want to do, but when do you really start getting down to like, hey, now's the time, you know, no more, no more fun. Where can I have, you know, we're going to, we're going to work a little bit. Well, here, you know? in, in my book, formal obedience only starts, you know, you're always doing some kind of obedience. You're, you're, you're soft teaching them their basic commands, sit and hear those sorts of things. Heel maybe a little bit on lead when you're walking, that sort of thing. And that's a pup, you know, below six months of age. Uh, but actual training, uh, what I would call formal obedience, won't start until a pup has three things in my book. He needs to be six months of age. He needs to have tons of retrieving desire and a ton of self-confidence. So... Uh, if any one of those are lacking, then we need to work on those things, you know, on up to the pup is eight, nine, 10 months old. You know, by the time 10, a pup is 10 to 11 months old, its character is pretty much instilled. Now you can still, you know, fine tune retrieving desire. You do station kind of get them where they're not as skittish around people, get them into more new environments and loud noises and stuff. But, if we've done everything like we're supposed to have done by six months of age, usually we're seeing pretty much the type of attitude and character in a pup that we're going to get throughout its lifetime. And that pup is showing ample retrieving desire, a ton of self-confidence, and is six months of age, then it's time to start formal obedience. That's generally when I start. Now, some of my own personal pups, I've seen them, have so much drive and and they getting a little bit self dependent and or independent and getting uh, uh, a lot of issues. I've said you you're fixing to start formal obedience at you know a week shy of five months. I mean I've I've had pups like that, uh, but most generally it's six months. You know, but you don't ever want to set a time frame to it. You just want to just kind of judge your dog on those three factors and then and then you know based on those start what i would consider actual formal obedience where you're more being direct about those commands and your pup adhering to those commands so at what age do you start introducing your dog to like guns after formal obedience i'm sure but like what age is usually you're kind of about age for introducing your dogs to guns and how do you well, usually it, go about you that? know the, uh, in teat's life in the seven weeks they're coming home we're doing this and that getting them used to environments those sorts of things getting them around you know the outside exploring the new area getting their confidence in the area and, and 
confidence in the house, those sorts of things. Eight, the, by that's seven weeks, eight weeks, we're, we're starting to load them up in the truck. Uh, they're riding to it with us to the field. I'm staking them out and they're listening and watching and watching other dogs work. They're listening to gunfire and all of that's while they're, you know, 30, 40 yards away. And these are light poppers. They're not like, you know, 308s or anything like that. They're light poppers and stuff. And the shooting's way out in the field 90% of the time. But they're, they're visual and, and hearing assessment of everything that's going on is out there. So they're what they can see everything they they start putting everything together so in all honesty at eight weeks my personal pups are being staked out and listening to gunfire uh then we'll start you know in the yard we're starting to build that retrieving desire and and as we see it progress if it's progressing well enough then by nine weeks we're starting to have bird boy thrown marks and somebody's out there at 50 yards and they're hey 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 and they're, and they're hey hey and they're, they throw a bumper straight to us and the puppy sees a big white bumper or you know a bumper they can see real easy runs out there and, and we've got them on the lead and we're helping them back to us and we condition them to that that hey 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 they learn to look out there that means the retrieve there it is i'm going leads pulling me back after i get it picked up and those sorts of things. So we're conditioning that dog to that by 12 weeks or so. They're so conditioned to it that we can take the lead off now. And our bird boy is now throwing the mark straight out instead of tortoise. And, and it's the same thing. Hey, 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 that sort of thing. And these pups have already heard all this shooting every single day of their lives. Now at 12 to 13 weeks of age, he's Hey, 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 pop throws a bird boom and it's all out there in the field and over time the next two or three weeks we're just moving that gunfire closer and closer and closer and closer and, and they're just if you do it like that that's the simplest way they they we condition them early then we show them exactly we associate that gunfire with the hey 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 and the funness of a retreat and it's just it's a no-brainer it's the easiest way to make sure that you don't have any gun issues or gunfire and there's a difference and there's a difference between a pup being a gun shy dog and a shot shy dog the gun shy dog is scared of the actual gun the working of that dog is uh, a dog that's scared of the actual shot going off so uh and if a, a dog is gun shy you didn't do near enough work with your pup at a distance watching the gun and not having the gun. My guns are out 100% of the time for dogs. To picking them up. Seeing, you know, all this stuff and hearing it and hearing that action, whether it's a pump or an auto. And you, you've got to take your time and do those things correctly to make sure that your pup is not gun shy. And the same thing with shot shy. If, if you just all of a sudden start throwing marks and shooting your gun over, you're going to shoot that dog up. So you got to do, right. do that by uh, by introducing bird boy throwing marks first, graduating to further marks with the hey, hey, hey. And then once that dog understands that that means a retrieve every time, then you just do, use light load popper primers and, and drop in the gunfire. And usually you don't have any issues. So... When do you know that they're ready for hunting? So I'm assuming it's after, you know, the introduction of gunfire, you got formal obedience, but when do you, what are the kind of the, the boxes that need to be checked before you say this well, dog, dog to needs to off. have a ton of shots over him and you need to have got him in a hunting like environment, see how he handles all the decoys. I mean, you're, you, it's a building process. You need to have your decoys out. You need to have, uh, uh, several shots going all over, you know, your pup's heads, a lot of calling, you know, uh, other people talking, those sorts of things. And, you know, as a guideline, I personally will not ever hunt a dog that is not at least a seven season level. He can mark doubles. He delivers to hand. 
He's steady. He's uh, can handle out to 150 or so yards on a blind. He and this dog has had a ton of marks, a ton of shots over him in a lot of different environments with all kinds of decoys. Been worked out of a blind, been worked out of a boat, been worked off of a, a tree stand, been worked off of a dog stand, all those sorts of things. Uh, and I want that dog to have a real strong understanding because a lot of bad habits are created by hunting a dog too early. Breaking is one of the, one of them. Whining is the second. If you want a whining dog, you you hunt that dog as a started dog or a young dog, you're going to have a whining dog. That, and people, you know, complain about that all the time. And that's from hunting a pup too early. So in my basic, I will not hunt. You know, there's a lot of people that, well, I'll hunt a, a started level dog. Well, that's that's fine. Go ahead. But personally, I won't ever hunt a dog unless he's to season level. Or when you're uh, when you're training, your, you know, your personal dogs, okay, uh, are you an inside or outside kind of a dog? So do you keep them inside the house with the family or you have like an outside kennel for them uh, with the rest of the dogs or do you keep them kind of by themselves outside? <laughs> are you kidding? You Each one of my dogs, dogs have their own dang recliner in. I ain't kidding you. They <laughs> each one of them have their own recliner in the house, and I mean that's uh, and uh, they all live inside. Now, of course, you know if we're going somewhere that we can't bring them or something like that, a lot of times we'll put them out in the kennel and just you know let them lounge around out there and that sort of thing. Uh, they've you know got Karunda beds and all that kind of stuff out there. If it's just a short trip, a lot of times we'll leave them in the house. Uh, you just better, uh, you know, they're old enough. Mine are old enough now that they won't tear anything up. But I've left them when they were a little bit younger. And you come back and, and it looks like a freaking tornado went through the house. But, I mean, my dogs are inside dogs. They're 100% inside dogs. So uh, that kind of leads me to my next question. So if you have a dog and that dog, like, misbehaves and or disobeys you in a stage that's, like, way past formal obedience, what do you do to like, you know, correct the, the, you know, the obedience mistake or what do you do? Like, how do you address that kind of error? You know, well, the train? It, it depends on what we're talking about. I mean, it depends. And 99% of the time, my dogs have got their e-collar on. So usually they get, you know, a light e-collar correction if they're being disobedient, you know, uh, especially if, you know, we're outside just doing something and I holler at them and they don't come. Uh, I'm instantly, you know, giving them an e-collar correction. Uh, we, every single time we let our dogs outside, you know, my yard's open here at the house, my personal dogs, you know, down there at the kennel, it's of course chain link and all that. But here at the house, anytime we let our dogs out, we put our, put an e-collar on them and they know not to go far because if I blow that whistle, or I say here, and they're not all back within, you know, five to eight, ten seconds, somebody's getting in trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I keep that standard, and they yeah. don't, they, they're, they're quick to go outside, they're quick to do their business, you know, and of course, there's times that, you know, they get after an armadillo or, or squirrels or something, my dogs love chasing squirrels, but, you know, they generally come back real quick, but I mean, I'm going to have an e-call percent of the time and if not they're going to have a lead you know if i'm going somewhere public and and i don't have a uh e-collar on them then i'm going to have a lead on them i'm going to have a lead with a pinch collar that sort of thing uh you know a prong collar uh i'm not one of these people that show up at the boat ramp and let their dogs run crazy and you hear them screaming in the dark for their dog i'm not that guy i'm uh my dogs are going to be walked down to the boat put in the boat and they're not going to move till I get ready to leave. Uh, and it, it having that kind of standard from the very, very beginning will ensure that even, you know, it, I can let all three of mine out tonight without an e-collar. And th there's a one chance in 1,000 that, you know, they won't come back. But if I do it three nights in a row, or, you know, they'll be slow about coming back. But if I do it three nights in a row, they're going to get slower and slower and slower about it. So 
I don't ever give them the chance. You know, a lot, a lot of people say, well, you know what? I, I didn't have my e-collar on my dog. I didn't have my leave. And, and I, I hollered and hollered at my dog here and here and here. And it I can't get them to mind unless that stuff would don't take it off then, you know, leave the lead on him, leave the e-collar on him. You know, you've got to be able to, to, uh, give a command and back it up if that command is not adhered to by the dog. That's just all there is to it. Yeah, for sure. So this is completely like a story time for you. What's the strangest dog you've ever trained? The strangest dog I've ever trained. I mean, I've trained Dobermans. I've trained Shih Tzu's. <laughs> I've trained some Mountain Curs. I've trained a German Shepherd. I mean, a bad mama jammer of a German Shepherd to actually finish level, almost master level uh, retrieving ability. He can mark triples, love to swim, uh, force fetch, he caught her condition, went through the whole whole genre with him. Uh, I mean, a big, pretty son of a gun. Uh, I'll say that. Is probably going to be that I trained. Of course, it was for a friend's wife, that sort of thing. And they just, you know, wanted a pup that was obedient and uh, was pretty easy. But it was it was weird. <laughs> Do you have like one dog in particular? Like, let's say even just a lab that had just crazy personality. Like you couldn't believe. Like he was kind of just crazy and weird. Is there anything like that? No, I mean the 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 teal was, was a personal dog of mine. Teal, she was a dog that just anytime you were training, you could not give her any type of affection whatsoever. I mean, she she if you tried to reach down, she'd move around to where no matter what she could see out in front of you, especially hunting. You did not sit in front of her. She. She would try to push you off her stand, you know, and move around in front of you enough to where, you know, one of the two of you was going to have to give it up. She was just that, just that intense about hunting and working. Her work ethic was, was off the chart. You know, she was one of these dogs that would literally kill herself making a retreat. So, uh, you had to be careful with her anytime you were hunting, but her level, her intensity was just, just unreal. And she was a jumper. I mean, it didn't matter. You know, birds could land out there. Or you could knock one out, you know, 20 yards or 100 yards. She was going to jump off that stand 15 feet every single time. Somebody was getting wet. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of my dog. She's a big jumper. She can jump almost as, you know, almost as high as I am tall. It's crazy. I hear you. Them little legs. Have you ever encountered an untrainable dog? I've 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 been able to, to let's say train every dog that I've got now. A dog trained to the specifics that an owner might want, or toward you know the goals that owner may have set. No, I've I've had several that. Hey, listen, this dog's. Uh, you know, he's really not ever going to be more than a season level dog. Just didn't have the marking ability. Uh, just didn't. Maybe he was uh, just the, the pup could have just not liked water, you know, or was extremely skittish around, you know, new environments at all times. It didn't matter how much, uh, how many new environments and how positive everything. You know, I've had dogs that were limited by that. So they, they've they all been able to be trained to a certain level, but pretty much. But I can remember one or two that, you know, I said, listen, this dog has no retrieving desire whatsoever. I can get the obedience done. You'll have a nice obedient dog. And that's about it. Yeah, well, that's all I got for you for the uh, for the episode. Thank you for uh, coming on and, and, you know, 
joining me on this uh on this little journey I got going. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. And uh, anytime you want to do this again, man, holler at me. I'm all about talking about ducks, dogs, you know, you name it. Uh, uh, it's my passion, waterfowling and anything that goes with it. And, and quite honestly, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for the dogs, I probably wouldn't duck hunt 60 days, maybe only 45. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, you have a good rest of your night and I, uh, I look forward to, uh, I look forward to, you know, talking with you again and I'll give the listeners one more little shout out. His, uh, program is called the retriever trainer, $60 a year. And I think it's very well spent $60. Wouldn't you say? Oh, well, I mean, for 60 bucks, you're going to have not only myself as a pro to help you, but we have a, uh, we have a private guy. Are more than I mean, you cannot ask a question in there within 10 minutes, you get a reply. But you can private message me anytime you've got through the program, and we we back to every member in some form. We have seminars that are free for members, we have training days that are free for members, we do giveaways, we give away to size here to members. We, we've given away guns, our channels, uh, you name it, uh, e-collars, bumpers, everything. So it's a program that gives 100% back to members as, as much as we possibly can. Yeah, I think that's that's really cool. But, uh, yeah, you, you have a good one now, and I, I look forward to hopefully having you on sometime in the in the future. I really enjoyed uh, I really enjoyed you coming on, and I appreciate it, your time. Hey, I enjoyed it too. Holler at me anytime, my friend. All right, sounds good. Have a good night, buddy. All right. You too. Bye. All right, buddy. We'll see you.